Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Erica. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Book Talk Day. Uh, welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where we talk about a section of a book. We cover one book over four weeks. Sort of like a month, although it doesn't really align with a month, but you know, time. <laughs> what is it? At some point, that was a goal. It's no longer a goal. <laughs> we just read a book every four weeks and you come along with us. Then we talk about it on Sunday nights. So this week, we read the second section of Good Neighbors by Sarah Langan. Um, writing the summary for this was crazy because so many things happen. We start this section with a psycho kitten birth dream and reliving Arlo's night out, which will eventually turn into his alibi. After a dramatic standoff at the sinkhole and Julia getting bit, Shelly and Julia reconnect and Shelly confesses that her mom has been hurting her and apologizes for how she has hurt Julia. The adults come running and Julia and Shelly take off, which fall- ends up with Shelly falling into the sinkhole. Ray seems to be getting crazier by the day, and Julia ends up confessing to her mom that she knows about Rhea hurting Shelly. Before Gertie can do anything about this, the cops show up to arrest Arlo, accusing him of rape. The neighborhood comes together and turns against Arlo and the whole family, and the section ends with a mob of the neighbors throwing a brick through the window and into Gertie, who is seven months pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think this is a... This was a little darker than the first section, which is an understatement. Yep. Shit got real in this section. <laughs> I kept being like, this is the, like, this is the twist. Like, Shelly falls in. Okay, that's the twist. And then the twist is that, like, Arlo gets questioned by the police, and then that's it. And then the end, them hurting Gertie. I was like, I can't believe they hurt her. She's pregnant. Like, what is wrong with these people? Well, I don't think that they knew they were going to hit someone. I think they were just throwing the brick through the window, and they happened to hit her. Right, but they threw it through their bedroom window. I mean, that's... I realize they probably didn't mean to, like, actually hurt her, but, like, you're a bunch of grown adults. That's still insane to damage someone's property, let alone to throw it into a bedroom where there's a likely chance that somebody is asleep in there. Crazy. Yes. Also, I think we all underestimate what it's like to be in a crowd and how like susceptible we all are to mob mentality because you think that you wouldn't do that, but you probably would do that. Like when there's a big group, all the emotions get amplified and people do things they would never normally do. Like participating in protests, you definitely like you get that feeling of like this is like a really high high positive and also this is like a really really intense situation where things can go badly because yeah the the mood of the entire crowd seems to like shift together um so i i did think it was weird that they like talked about like what should we do and one of raya's old best friends was like a brick is the answer and i was like what that seems like a crazy suggestion. I would be more convinced if they just happened to be in front of the house trying to talk about what to do and someone picked up a brick and threw it. Like, I think it was Rhea's son. Was it? Is it RJ? I don't know who threw it. Yeah. FJ. FJ, who threw, like, the stone at their window initially. Um, but, yeah. But still, crazy ending. Also, poor Gertie. Oh, my God. I did think it was really weird that they talked about the brick. I feel like people when you get into the mob mentality and you're like painting your faces and you're like in the cover of night like I can 
it's a lot easier to see how you would fall into that. But like having a rational conversation and being like, let's get a brick and nobody being like, that seems like not a good idea is a little bit harder to believe, I think. Um, but yeah, when you're in that mob and you have this, you're like moving as a group. Um, I think people like to think they wouldn't get sucked in, but like you said, everybody will. And you're basically in an echo chamber because you're like, okay, these are all other upstanding citizens who are also making this decision. These are also people, you know, maybe they know more than I do, or I should follow them. Or I don't like, I think there's just a lot of things that are happening subconsciously that you use to justify why you're going along with the group. Also, people are usually so somewhat like rational and logical until it comes to their children. And when it's about their kids, people are like unbelievably protective and also I think very irrational. And that's evolutionarily makes total sense. Do whatever you can to help like the next generation survive. Uh, yeah, this is something we've like talked about with nice white parents and like integration and in schools is like everybody is so pro all of these things happening in society until it's like, OK, but your kid is the one who's going to have to like go to a school that doesn't have resources and, you know, be the the presence that increases the funding or whatever. And people are like, not my kid. <laughs> people are very intense about their children I think that's part of why they're these like upstanding people are reacting this way because at this point they've convinced themselves that Arlo is totally a threat to all of their children and now they have to do everything they can to protect their children I still the jump from being like Arlo is a threat to all of our children and then being like hey let's get a brick like what are you accomplished I just I'm like there's got to be a better way to do this but it is again it's not rational Maybe the whatever that substance is leaking out of the ground is making everybody a little bit That's more a good crazy. Point. It might be. But like it's definitely making something else is making Raya crazy though. She is. The more we know about her, the more I'm like, there is a lot more to uncover here that will explain, you know, how she treats Shelly, but also like how she's just living in this in this world. So you were very harsh on Shelly. In our first episode, have you come around to realizing why Shelly is the way she is? Yeah, I still think I am like, kids are so mean, but I do think that Shelly has obviously been through a lot and is clearly struggling and, and kids are so, they are mean because they're just like so hormonal at this phase, which is why she can also run back to Julia and be like, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't like, I don't know. I feel like it's like a constant feeling like your emotions are out of control when you're at that age, the good, the bad, everything feels like it's insurmountable and you're invincible, you know, like you're just, it's the hormones. So I feel yes, bad for Shelly now. And I don't wish that she was in the sinkhole and probably dead. Oh, do you think she died? Yeah. I think it's like, it's been too long. She would be like complete. I think after only like a couple of days, she would die from not having water. Yeah, that's true. Yikes. We see sort of these repeating patterns of trauma getting passed on. I think you're right. We don't know exactly why Rhea is the way that she is, but we definitely see how, like, Gertie having to live with Cheery uh, has affected her, like, her perceptions of men, her trust in men, her sexuality, um, and also her reputation, which is, like, her so, so sad. But that gets brought up multiple times in this section. Yeah, and it affects, I think going through trauma like she did as well 
also changes her ability to be able to trust herself. Like she doesn't trust men, she doesn't trust those around her. And she also is like, do I know what's best for my kids? Am I sure that, you know, Arlo didn't do it? Because do I truly know how to make mm-hmm. those decisions? Because at, you know, points when she was younger, um, you know, she obviously been through a lot and probably convinced herself of different things. So I think it can be hard to rebuild that trust even with yourself. And that is also where we start when we try to understand other people as we try and start with how I would react or how I have reacted in similar situations. So she's thinking back with Shelly and how she acted and trying to like reinterpret it under this new narrative of like, maybe she was hiding something. Maybe I didn't notice because I remember when that was me and I took all the blame on myself and I didn't tell anybody. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it kind of becomes this whole other thing that's making her not trust the one person that she is close to. She's so sad. I know. But I think it was, you know, when she saw her kids and she was like, here I see my kids like full humans who are kind and innocent. And I know that he didn't do it. Um, And I think she's like, okay, I do. I have a gut feeling. I have my intuition. I know that this wasn't true, but it's so easy, you know, when you're confronting these extremely stressful situations and especially in the type of like interrogation when someone is telling you things and they're seeing how you react and they're like, okay, well, and you see it on, you know, crime shows and things all the time where they're like, well, we already have evidence and it gets people to confess and it can kind of almost rewrite what you think and what you know, because you're like, do I trust my own brain? Do I trust my own memory? And memories change. It's, you know, so it's, they're fallible. So it's hard to believe that when somebody is constantly pushing the opposite on you. Okay, I have to insert my favorite piece of advice I've ever seen ever because of this interrogation section, which is this lawyer who was like, if fish never opened their mouth, they wouldn't get caught. Don't ever say anything, anything (laughs) to the police without your lawyer. Nothing. And I was like, yes, Arlo, just being like, nope, nope, nope. Have I ever been alone with them? Nope. Nope. Do I know why she did this? Nope. (laughs) Do you want to talk about it again? Nope. "Mm." (laughs) Not going to get me. Yeah, he's smart. (laughs) (laughs) because they do that that's what is like oh my gosh if anyone has seen like making a murderer I just yeah I think um Andrew described the experience of making watching making a murderer as screaming himself to sleep every night and I was like that's pretty accurate because you just watch how like the cops (laughs) manipulate people but it's the same thing people think that they would not be that sensitive to pressure they would never convince can they would never uh admit to something they didn't do but you would you don't realize how like stressful that situation is. And especially if they're telling you, actually, Gertie just said that she did think that you were weird and maybe you were alone with Shelly, like lying to you and putting you in a corner. You might try and right. confess to something or get yourself tripped up in a lie and kind of have this cascade. So don't open your mouth. Don't talk to the yeah, detective. Be the fish. <laughs> get your lawyer. <laughs> oh, um. The kind of opposite of that, though, is so she's kind of questioning what she knows and questioning what she believes to be true. The opposite of that is like when you make a bad decision and or you react poorly to something and then you rewrite history or like reconvince yourself so that you feel better about it. So someone else isn't doing it, but you're doing it to yourself. And we see this with Rhea multiple times where she's like, well, Shelly must have been running from something. There might be a clue in my house. Yeah, girl, it's you. What? But she's like, well, it couldn't be me. I'm a good mother. You know, I do all the things and the people like she rewrites in her head like it couldn't be. That wasn't me who did that. You're going to see this in hindsight with the neighbors, too. In the last section, 
Linda's like, well, he could have also hurt the boys. Like we don't know what he did. And we had proof and, you know, it was on my trampoline and we were, we knew that he did it. And so that's how we had to go in there and they'll rewrite that story of that night. They'll never be like, oh, we discussed the brick and we decided to harm these people in their house. It's never going, that's not going to be the story. It wouldn't justify what they did. So they have to rewrite it to make what they did. Okay. In their own minds and with like society accepting what they did. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is also part of what we're seeing in this section of why rumors are so and like even like quote unquote fake news is so damaging because um, I think this is said in Gertie's section like once you say something out loud you can't help but wonder if it's true. It's like just the accusation against Arlo has now reinterpreted everything he's ever done. You know him running out of his house in his underwear after the girls. If you view it on one hand, it might look like a very protective father who thinks his child is in danger. But now with this new lens, they think, oh, this was like him threatening Shelly. No wonder she was running away. No, for sure. I mean, again, you're re- you're seeing everything through a different light, but it doesn't even have to be a true light. It's just somebody questioning it. And then it's also the story that they want to be told. Amazing. Yes, Totally. I think another thing that we're seeing, so we have these sort of like trauma cycles getting repeated. We even have Rhea, who essentially has like started this horrific rumor, who then kind of has this like darkness that she's put into Shelly. And then Shelly's like creating this situation and literally ends up in the sinkhole. Like it's just such a self-perpetuating cycle. Related to this, Sarah has an amazing quote about violence that I wanted to read on page 102. Um She says, directed against the wrong person, violence assumes a will of its own. It wants to continue to hurt that person as if to right the wrong, as if in some way to provoke violence in kind, thereby coercing its own legitimacy. It's so beautiful and poetic because this is sort of like what rage does. It's like rage and violence. It seeks out some justification after the fact. So Rhea is now has this like violence, this energy directed at Gertie and then Gertie in turn returns it with like punching her in the shoulder and so it becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy that like violence wants other violence to justify why it had to be violent in the first place um it sort of reminds me of like power structures where it's like you set up the conditions for people to fail and you set up conditions for them to not succeed or to struggle and then you turn to their struggling as evidence that they never would have made it in the first place But I've never thought about that in the lens of violence before. I think it's so interesting. I'm just like not a violent person. I think it's something I want to talk about in therapy, but I don't think I'm even like very good at getting mad. I go from like being mad to like apologizing almost immediately or like being mad to like wanting to make the other person feel okay, like very quickly. So I don't relate to this section as much, especially with like women being the center of this violence and anger, but I like reading about it. This is the quote that I thought you were going to read, which is just funny because I like thought I knew what you were going to talk about with us and I didn't. On page 133, there's this thing that happens to people who've grown up with violence. It changes their hardwiring. They're just a slightly different species built more for survival than social networking. They don't react to threats like regular civilians. They do extremes. They're too docile over small things, but they go apeshit over the big stuff. In other words, they're prone to violence. I think this is especially true in in Gertie's case. Like she's been through so much. She's willing to let so many things go to fit in, to be accepted, to be cared for, or like a part of something. 
But once it crosses whatever line that is, she has like no more control because she has all this hurt that she's holding. And that's what happens. I think with her and Raya too, it's like, she's like, no longer can I let this go or pretend like everything's okay or just have this veneer over it. Like it's shattered. I don't remember if we know, I don't think that we know if something happened to Raya, but it's an, it's a parallel between the teenagers and Raya and Gertie who Raya and Gertie because of their like trauma or because of the things they've experienced have these extreme emotional reactions. And I think that's, that's exactly what that quote is talking about is like when you've had trauma, anything that feels unsafe or reminds you of the times where you haven't had power can elicit these really seemingly inappropriate reactions because you don't realize the situation you're in now is not the same situation because it feels that way. It feels like you're backed into a corner. It feels like you're right back there when you didn't have power. And so then you lash out in the same way, like teenagers have these like very strong emotional swings. Yeah. I mean, you, your body is reacting in like a visceral way to feeling that way again. Ooh. Okay. I heard, I watched a really good TikTok about this. <laughs> I was just, like, I'm still so confused how you curate your TikTok to get like interesting shit. I'm like, here's a hair tutorial and like a dog. And then like, here's seven videos about home refinancing, which like I don't care about. I don't know. TikTok is convinced that I like Marvel movies right now. And I have never like I don't think I've watched a Marvel movie in so long. So I don't I'm like mm, it's past. But anyway, so this TikTok was what's the best thing a therapist ever told you? And what he said was. Does this situation is this situation unsafe or does it remind you of a time that you were unsafe? And if it reminds you of a time that you were unsafe, can you remind yourself that you survived? reframing it baby we love that we love a reframing I don't know what my deal is this is like a book club podcast masquerading as like my own self-help as Erica's other therapy Erica's other therapy sessions <laughs> I feel like every time we've got a little self-love um learning to love yourself like trope here and you know I'm not mad about it I feel like it's good to keep reminding our viewers every time to work on loving ourselves I'm not laughing at that as an idea. I'm just laughing at us doing. I this know, podcast. always. I can't help it. But I do think that's like that's part of how you break these like cycles that we're talking about, like the cycles of violence and the cycles of trauma. Is like recognize that like the trauma did happen, but it happened to you. First of all, you made it, and you've developed these really specific reactions which were designed to help you. But maybe they're not helpful right now. Maybe that's actually not the situation. This is not what I need to do in this moment because this moment's not the same as the moments I've had to do this to survive. Okay, but here's the point of this to relate this back to this book is that I don't think Rayo and or Gertie have ever even allowed themselves to really process any of that. Like Rhea doesn't even allow herself to be a person who has experienced trauma. She is a Stepford wife. She is like, no, no, that wasn't me. That didn't happen to me. It's just, you know, she has rewritten history and who she is by burying everything that happened to her or around her or because of her so deep that she doesn't have to face it. And Gertie, in her own way, did the same thing. She's like, yeah, I had this horrible experience. And now, you know, she runs away from anything that might be conflict or uncomfortable because she's like trying to create this false sense of security. So they're both doing it in different ways. And that's rubbing off on their kids, too, because Julia's like, no one's in my corner. And Gertie's like, I can't I can't react like she's her reaction is to just drive away. She doesn't want to make it worse. She doesn't know what to do. Um, and that itself is a reaction. 
I want to say one more thing about her writing style before we kind of wrap up this section. I really enjoyed how Sarah uses these super short interactions, um, maybe a sentence or two of an overheard conversation or of the inner thoughts of somebody, um, you know, of the boys talking about protecting Rhea or of the neighbors kind of just showing their true colors. She's really painting this very vivid picture of who these people are without spending five pages detailing all of their life history. It's like these very short interactions when, um, one of the neighbors, I think it's Linda, somebody makes a comment about the burqa and, and you probably want us all to just be wearing burqas. And the person she says it to is like, what? And you just immediately can see their biases. You can see how they're experiencing the world, how they're perceiving these people, how they're probably understanding the situation at hand all in like a sentence. I thought it's just very powerful how she can do that in such a short amount of time in this section. Another great example of this is when they're talking about the brick, it's Linda who brings it up and she phrases it as Linda who had considered herself Rhea's best friend until Gertie moved in was the first to suggest a brick, which just gives you a little bit of a window into like why Linda is trying to ingratiate herself back to Rhea. She wants to get back that coveted position that she thought she had in Rhea's life before Gertie came. So the friendship between Rhea and Gertie not only affects both of the two of them, but also Linda, who's now thinking of ways to kind of get back into Rhea's good graces. But instead of saying all of that, she just says Linda said they should do the brick first. And you get everything you just said from that. All right, Sarah, we're fans. Great job. <laughs> talk, 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 talk. I finished two books, but I don't remember what, what they were. Wow. So really impactful. Okay. So, well, (laughs) I felt bullied um, into finishing (laughs) books after last week's episode. And you were like, maybe Erica will read more than seven pages. And I was like, oh, so well, I think you bullied yourself into that. Just saying I was a mess. Okay. I'm looking up the books I read. One of the books that I finished was Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Huang. And it's like a sh- it's a collection of essays. I thought it was a really interesting companion to Crying in H Mart, which gets into Korean identity, Korean and American identity, but doesn't like like really look squarely at it. Like the Crying in H Mart is obviously much more about grief and motherhood. This is Kathy Park Huang is like a poet, an artist and an art critic. And she uses art as a lens to like deconstruct what it means to be Asian American, what the Asian American term even is and where it fits and where it doesn't. And also connects like the struggle of being an Asian in America with like what it means to be other minorities and that like complicated history between them. And it's just like really fascinating. She also has a couple of essays about like her friendships with other female artists and her mom. And I really, really loved it. I cried like multiple times, which I really usually don't with a nonfiction book, but she got me. I was going to say, please, please say out loud that you don't normally cry at books. Oh no. I cry like at the drop of a hat. If someone looks at me and they're crying, I start crying. I can't, even if it's like a Folgers commercial, I'm like, and I'm sorry. We're like truly opposite. I like never cry. It's if I'm crying, I'm mad. Oh, interesting. (laughs) That's like, I don't like cry for sad things really ever. 
Oh, what was the other book? A quick summary of your other, or not a quick summary. Just what was the other book you read? The other book I finished was Georgia Clark. It had to be you, which also reminded me less of a novel and more of like a collection of short love stories because there's so many characters and there's so many intersecting love stories that we get. Um, that book also made me cry like seven times. I read it on the beach yesterday and then I finished it on the subway back and the entire subway ride back. I'm like crying into my mask. I was wearing my like sunglasses and the tears were just getting caught at the bottom of the sunglasses. And I was like, okay, new life hack. Let me cry into my sunglasses and no one will see it. (laughs) Anyways, more to come about that book. Wink, wink, nod, nod. You all know what that means. Yeah, I think Georgia Clark's book, I read that one too. It had to be you. Um, So yeah, wink, wink, you know what's happening if we read the same book. Um, But I felt like it also felt like a bunch of short love stories. Um, like in Love Actually, where you are invested in all of them, but it goes by so quickly because you just get, you know, little, it's not like you're fully invested in one. You get all of these little love stories that were just so sweet. And hers is kind of like a modernized version of that, which I really liked too. I think I'm buying more and more into your strategy of like balancing serious books and more like lighthearted books or like books about love. It was really nice to read uh, Minor Feelings and then to kind of transition to It Had to Be You. It just brings out different parts of me and helps me like not be too dark and morose and also not be too over the moon optimistic. Like everything will work out. It's like really it's in between. No. And that's the point. It's like this balance where you get to think about the hard stuff and you get to kind of like you get to do that work. But then you also get to rest and you get to do that in something that is like happy and feels good. And also you can learn something from. So I like the, yeah, a balancing of it too. I am reading three books at the same time, which I like to read two, but not three. So, you know, but I'm reading obviously good neighbors and then, um, the hospital, which I, it's like kind of hard to read. It's nonfiction. It's going to take a while. It's very dense, but really interesting. Um, I will say reading that and working in healthcare, it's like very easy, especially working at like a very progressive cutting edge healthcare facility that it's very easy to just constantly be like, we have so far to go. We have so much more we could be doing. There are so many people we are not accessing. There is so much more we could be doing to impact the health of our community. And then you read a book like this and you're like, Oh, I mean, we are not that far out from like, you know, not having any healthcare, any preventative care, or even understanding what that meant or like mass vaccination of any kind, or we just, we have come so far in the last 50 years. I think it's kind of, inspiring in that way to read about we obviously still have a way to go but it's good and then I'm reading an American marriage by um Tiari Jones and it's really good and interesting to read in contrast with good neighbors I just randomly picked it up at book loft the other day and it's about a man who was wrongly imprisoned for being accused of rape which is like wild to read next to good neighbors um and while he's gone his wife like reconnects with her high school love and then he gets released whoa. early whoa and that's what's happening now yes. and also her high school love is like their mutual best friend oh oh no yeah and so like i'm only like a third of the way through and he's being released so i don't know what's going to happen but it's like it's really good so far she's a really good writer ooh okay keep us posted we'll do okay see you next week bye Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week.
you know what's really freaky? When you turn your Zoom camera off and the you from six years ago shows up on my screen. Okay, first of all, how dare you? I look exactly the same. I have not aged one second. 